0: You have your Bible turn over to 2 Timothy. We'll read a verse or two there in a few moments. If you've ever watched the Antique Roadshow, that was one of my favorite shows years ago. I haven't watched it in a while, but I did go on uh, YouTube and I saw uh, that they had uh, like the top 10 um, amazing discoveries of the Antique Roadshow. If you know anything about the, if you don't know about the antique show, Road show, it was uh, they would travel into a different communities and go around the country. People would bring in things that they thought were of value. And on this particular one, number 10 on that top 10 list was a table, a Seymour table that a lady had bought at a yard sale for $25. And so uh, they looked at it and the appraiser noticed that there was a label on it and he could read the label. And it was made by someone named Seymour. And the appraiser told her that in the shape that it was in, that it was worth $250,000. Now I thought that was a pretty good deal, you know. You pay $25 and you get 250000 if you sell it. Well, it turns out that the appraiser was wrong. That when it went to the auction, that it actually sold for $541,500. So over a half a million dollars for this heirloom that had been sent, uh, passed down from one generation to the next, and then finally someone sold it at a, at a garage sale. But that's what happens sometimes. We pass things that we think are of value. And a lot of times the things that we think are valuable, maybe you may find out that they're not valuable. In fact... On, that, on, on different shows of the Antique Road show, people would bring in something that they thought was of great value, that great-grandma that had been in the family for all of these years, and it had this long story to go with it, and it sounded really good and sounded real valuable, only to find out that it was a fake, that it wasn't worth a dime. It was use worthless. Uh, and so they were disappointed when they would hear that. And then I remember on one program, a man brought in a big, huge uh, chest. And it was—it would have been worth over $300,000. But he had refinished it, and now it was worth about $100,000. So, I mean, it wasn't worth much because he had taken the finish off of it. And so sometimes we see that things are valuable in their original condition. And so it is our job as Christians to appraise the doctrines and the teachings that we hear. And we want to make sure that they come from God and not from some other source. And I want to challenge us this morning as Christians to realize that there is something that we need to pass down to our children from generation to generation. And it is much more valuable than anything that you may see on the antique roadshow. And that is our faith that we have in God. That is something that we need to pass to our children and to our grandchildren and so on and so forth. And as I said, it is very important that we examine what we're hearing to make sure that it is from God's Word. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32: Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so Jesus is saying that there's truth out there, and it's in his word, and we need to understand that. Jesus said, The word that I have spoken the same shall judge you in the last day, John chapter 12 and verse 48. And so we know that there's truth. God gives us the truth. And we need to make sure that what we hear is the truth, and that it comes from the Bible. And it is the truth of God's word uh, that we want to pass down. In first John chapter 4, and verse 1, John tells us. Believe or beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so we need to understand that the gospel, the truth of God's word, is something that is very valuable. But when we change it, when we take away from it, when we add to it, that destroys the value that it has. Why? Because it is no longer the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, an heirloom is something, perhaps an antique, a piece of jewelry, a coin, a rare coin that is passed down from generation to generation. In fact, you may have some things in your house that you belong to your mother or your grandmother who's no longer here on this earth. And so you look at those things and they're precious. Maybe something from your dad or your grandfather. Something that's been passed down, and you plan to pass that to your children. Those are things that are valuable to us, and we keep them in the family. And then in the Old Testament, we find that parents were taught to teach their children. In Psalms chapter seventy eight, verses five through seven, listen to what it says. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them unto their children, but they that they might see or set their hope to, in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And so we see in the Old Testament, Moses is telling the children of Israel that they need to teach their children and pass it on, pass on your faith. Pass on the fact that God delivered them from Egypt. That God had taken care of them. Tell them the stories that they knew that God had done for them. And so that they could teach that to their children and the promise that was made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And through them, that all the or nations of the earth would be blessed. And so they needed to continue to teach that. And it's kind of like what I talked about last week. I mentioned in our lesson is that, you know, you don't know the influence that you're going to have on someone's life. And that influence, and you don't know how far that, how far reaching that impact is. And it's like dropping that stone in the pond, that crystal clear pond. You drop it in, and you see the rings. And they start out small and they start to grow. Brother, we don't know what our influence is going to have today on future generations. It may be ten generations from today that someone obeys the gospel because of the influence that you had on someone who had an influence on someone and someone and someone and someone until it reaches that tenth generation. But it's because of your faith today. It had an impact on people hundreds of years from now. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 4, we find that fathers are to train up their children. And to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, we see that the younger women or the older women are to teach the younger women. And so it continues on today. Not just something in the Old Testament, but today we need to be teaching our children. We have a responsibility to do that. We need to create an atmosphere in our homes and in our families for our children to accept God and Jesus, and the Word that they have given us in the Bible. That is something that should be very important to all of us. You see, God's plan for Christian homes was for our faith to be handed down from generation to generation. And my friend, I want to tell you that if you have a godly parent, a godly mother, father, you are blessed. If they are teaching you the truth of God's Word, that is something that is precious. That is not the responsibility of the school system, the government. That is the responsibility of moms and dads to train and teach their children. And so that is something that you need to understand. Especially, And don't be envious of your friends in the world who get to do whatever they want to do. And your mom and dad says, oh, no, you can't because that violates God's law. Be thankful for that. Because they're saying, we want you to go to heaven. We want to spend eternity with you. Don't be like the world. Don't be envious of those that do evil. God wants us to pass it on from generation to generation. And not only does He want to use you to bring children or your children to Christ, but He wants to use you to bring others to Christ. Because, brethren, when they see the life that you're living, when they see that you have tremendous faith, a strong faith, That is going to have an impact not only on the people that are closest to you, but an impact on the people that are around you. The people that you work with. The people that you go to school with. The people that you live next door to. In 1 Peter 3, and verse 15, Peter says, "...but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." People are going to see that there's something different about you. Your children see that there's something different about you than their friends' parents. Because they know that you have faith. That you actually believe what God says. That you trust Him. And that you put your life and your family's life in His hands. And so you're going to live by His standard because you want to choose Him. The Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, "...when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelleth first in the grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also." We can read from that passage of Scripture that Timothy obviously had been taught by his grandmother and his mother the Holy Scripture. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, beginning, it says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, a son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were in Lystra and Iconium him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Timothy is going to end up being a faithful Christian in spite of his father not being a Christian. As I mentioned also last week, One of the things that we can learn from the example of Timothy is that a godly mother and a godly grandmother can accomplish something good in their grandchildren and their children's lives. Oh, it's great when you have a godly mother and father, but that one parent can do the job. And I think that we see it here. But we need to encourage each other. We need to help each other. In His early spiritual training, we, we, we know that He was led to become a man wise unto salvation. Why? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All the possessions of the world mean nothing to, Faith is something that is very important. All of those possessions will not save your soul. But your faith in God, your obedience to His will, will save your soul. What kind of faith is it that will thrive from generation to generation? I want us to look at that passage of Scripture back in Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 where it says, "...when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelleth dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also." What kind of faith do we need to pass on to our children? What kind of faith do we need to have to attract those outside of our families into Christ. Because realize, that's what it's all about here in this world. Leading others to Christ. Well, first of all, I think that we need to have a convincing faith. And I think that you see that with the word "unfeigned." When you look at that word, that word means genuine, honest, sincere. It's not something that is fake. And I'm afraid that our children can look at our lives and they can see that that sometimes our faith is not genuine. It's not something that we put on. It's not a mask that we put on on Sunday morning and then we go home and we take it off. Our faith needs to be sincere. It needs to be honest. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be real. And that faith that faith that Timothy had came from his mother and his grandmother. It was convincing of convincing faith that was real. And it must be genuine every single day. Sometimes we have trouble as parents convincing our children that our faith is real. Why is that? Why is it so hard for us to convince our children that our faith is real? I think the answer is kind of easy. Because our kids see us all the time. They see us in the good times. They see us in the bad times. You see... I don't see you at home. If I stopped by your house, I'd see you, but it'd be very possible that you could put on that mask and say, oh, everything's wonderful and great, and I'm the best Christian in the world, and everything is going good. And then I could leave, and you could go back to your normal self. And that's what happens sometimes. We come to church, and we put it on. We say the right things, we do the right things. But then we go home and our kids see us. And they know whether or not you really have faith. They, they, they know whether you really believe what the Bible teaches. They see us. They see our actions. They hear our words. They listen to our grumbling and complaining. They sense our lack of trust in God. They hear what we teach with our words. But sometimes they see what we lack in practice. Our children are our best critics. I remember years ago I taught the seventh grade. I had a young man in my class. And it was, we always went through the book of Acts. And we came to the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and where he obeyed the gospel, and then he went and joined himself to the congregation of God's people. And I always would ask the class, if someone like Saul came to this congregation, how do you think that he would be received? And that young man was very honest. He said, I think there's only about six people here that would accept him. And if I would have let him, he would have named him. And from his attitude and the way that he answered, you could tell that he had observed a lot of people. And he had seen that our walk didn't match our talk. So you see, every single one of us, whether we like it or not, have an impact on people around us, whether they're our children or not. And I thought, what a sad commentary on the Lord's body that met at that place to have that kind of uh, reputation. Now, I believe that there was more people there that would receive Him than He thought. But that's what they do. Kids are very good at being an honest critic. Scriptures must be impressed upon their heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and I don't have all the words up there on the screen, but listen to what it says And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest in by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them with a sign upon thy hand, and thou shalt be frontlets, and they shall be frontlets between thine eyes. What's Moses saying? Moses is telling God's people that. The Scriptures, God's ways, are important. And you need to tell your kids about it when they sit down, when they get up, when they're walking, when they're, when they're just uh, going to bed. You need to talk about it. You need to tell them all the good things about God. Now today in our world that we live in, if you live like that and you were talking about God all the time, you know, when they're walking, when they're sitting, when they're standing, when they're walking, running around, whatever they're doing, you take the opportunity to teach a lesson about God then our world today would say, that's too obsessive. You're too crazy. You're just trying to brainwash them. No, we're trying to teach them. Because isn't that what the Bible says? Train up a child in a way that he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. I had somebody tell me once, you train a dog, you don't train a child. I said, well, that's funny. God said, train up a child. Now, how do You train? If you want to talk about a dog, how do you train a dog? Sit. You say that one time, sit, and it just automatically starts sitting. You never have to do it again. You never have to say it again. No, you have to sit, sit, sit. You may have to snap your finger. You may even have to push them down to get them to sit. And you say it over and over and over and over before they actually say, sit, and they sit down. You know how many times my mother said... If I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, and she probably did tell me a hundred times. Why? Because she was telling me over and over and over, and she was very consistent. That's what we are to do. Tell our kids about God. The good things. But they can tell you, they they will know If you don't believe those stories, they will know if you don't believe the scriptures. And that's just not Old Testament teachings. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And we need to teach God's word to our children. They need to be taught what the Bible teaches, but they also need to see it in action in our lives. James chapter 2 and verse 26, For as the body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Brethren, before we can convince our children, we must be convinced ourselves. Do I believe what the Bible teaches? If I don't believe it, I sure can't teach that to someone else. Oh, we may try. But they will know. We also need to have a consistent faith. When you look at that passage of Scripture there in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, I think that that appears to be the truth when it talks about which dwelleth first in thy grandmother Lois. Dwelt means to abide. It means to live. It means that it has the staying power and, and preeminence. It's going to stay there. We can see in that passage of Scripture that it was passed from grandmother to mother to son, from generation to generation to generation. It is easy to have faith in our own lives when things are going good. But I believe that our children learn a lot more from us about our faith from the bad times, more so than the good times. Because you think about it as you look back over your Christian life and you remember people that have been in your life and how sometimes, as long as everything was going good, they were faithful. But when something bad happened, they turned their back on God just like that and they walked away. Or sometimes when we're praying, it doesn't seem that our prayers are answered and we get upset and we get mad at God and we quit. We may stop praying, we may not want to study the Bible. Now, sometimes we can still come to church. I don't know if you prayed at home. And no one else here knows if you prayed at home. Or study your Bible at home. Or if you're angry with God at home. But there are other members of your family who may know that. And so it's important that we have a consistent faith that is there in the good times and in the difficult times. As it tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 16, And what agreement have the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God is with us. If we're a child of His, He says He's with us. We are His people. He cares about you. He cares about me. And we have to trust Him that even when we that it appears that our prayers aren't answered, we need to be confident that God still cares about us. As I try to tell people, when we look at all the chaos that's taking place in our world, I still want to remind them that God is the one that's in control. We may not like the outcome. We may not like things that go in the way they're going. But God is still in control. And we need to trust Him in that area of our lives. For God to walk with us, and for us to walk with Him, we need to be totally committed to God. That means I can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the in, in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six and verse twenty-four No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God mammon, You can't serve God and the world at the same time. And I think that that's one of the reasons sometimes that we're so miserable. Because we got one foot in the world, we got one foot in the church, and we want to be saved, but we want to do some of the things that the world does. And we know that we shouldn't. We know that God doesn't approve. In fact, Matt, in, in Revelation 2 and verse 10, it tells us there to be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so we must have a consistent faith. A faith that is there in the good times and the difficult times. A faith that is always real and true. Third point, we must have a contagious faith. As it says in the Scripture, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. It's in Timothy. That's a catchy... Spreading infectious faith. We know a little bit about that stuff, don't we? No, we all wear masks. We all uh, try to stay away from each other. We don't shake hands. We do a lot of things because we're, we know what it means to catch something and, and the, how infectious things may be and how things can spread. How contagious is your faith? How infectious is your faith? By that I mean when people see the life that you live, do they want to have that in their life? Do they want the faith that you have? How enthused about God are you? When you think about God, how excited do you get? Or is it like some i have had tell me in the past, God just don't want me to have any fun. How excited do you get when it talk we when when it comes to the church? How excited do you get when it comes to studying God's word? Do you look at it as something that's exciting? I would imagine that since we don't meet to have Bible class, that there are some people who say, "Ah, oh, I don't have to do it. I'm okay." Is that should that be our attitude, or should we still want to study God's word? In fact, we should want to study God's Word every day. Not just on Sunday and Wednesday, but every day. When it comes to doing the Lord's work, visiting the sick, helping those that are in need, sharing the Gospel, the good message of the good news of Christ with other people. You see, when we get excited... Others get excited. We must be eager to share our faith with our children. And they should see the joy of salvation in our lives. Our faith should be something that is contagious. We need to be excited about our Lord. And that excitement needs to be conveyed to our kids and to the people that we come in contact with. It doesn't mean I have to be giddy. (laughs) It just means that I need to be faithful to my Lord and people see the truth. And I'm sure that if you're in a workplace and people know that you are a faithful Christian, they respect you because of that. And they will come to you for questions because they know that if they come to you, they're going to get the truth. They're going to get what the Bible says, not what your opinion says, but what God's Word says. And so they're attracted to you. How excited do you get people? Or do you make people when it comes to your faith? Look for moments when you can spontaneously make your children hungry and thirsty for God. In Second Chronicles, chapter thirty one, verses twenty through twenty one. It says, And thus did Hezekiah throughout all of Judea, who wrought that which was good and right. And in truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments, to seek his God, he did it with all of his heart and prospered. Rather, when we seek the Lord with all of our heart, when we love Him with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, guess what? That's a good thing. And we will prosper. Oh, we may not get rich. We may not have all the material things that we would like, but we—if we have Christ, if we have salvation—we're the richest people in this world. Think about it. How excited do you get people about Christianity? In Acts chapter 17, verse 6 is an interesting passage of Scripture because it says that when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren. And... under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Do you think that their faith was contagious? Do you think their faith was consistent? Do you think their faith was convincing? I'm sure it was. It wasn't something that they put on on Sunday. It was something that they lived every day. We also need to have a confident faith. As Paul said, I'm persuaded that is in thee also. If we're not confident about what we believe, how are we going to make anyone else confident? If we really don't believe what the Bible teaches. And I've had people that will say, ah, yeah, I've read it. That's not what it means. Or I've had people that will say, ah, I've tried to do it. It just don't work. And most of the time, we're not putting the best effort forth. We're not doing the best that we can. We're not doing exactly what it says. We've changed it a little bit. It's sort of like that antique, you know, that's worth a lot of money. Until you refinished it, you changed it. And sometimes when we hear God's Word, we want to change it to meet our standard. And when we change it, it's not going to work because we're not doing what God's Word teaches us. If we're not confident in what we believe, how can we make others confident in what they believe? In Paul's mind, faith meant that he embraced Jesus Christ in all of His fullness, in all of His teachings, in all of His doctrines in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel I'm not ashamed of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I'm sure that there were people that were ashamed and they wanted some other gospel. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And I'm preaching it. And he preached it. And he preached it to those in high places for his defense wherever he went. He's seen before magistrates. He's seen before governors. He's seen before kings. And in fact, King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Why? Because Paul presented the gospel. He wasn't ashamed of it no matter where he was at. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 12, he says, For the which cause I also suffered these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So not only is he not ashamed of the gospel, he's not ashamed to suffer for the gospel. He's not ashamed of those things that had happened to him because he was a Christian. And he knew who he believed in and he was persuaded that nothing could keep that which he had committed unto his soul take it away. And so he realized the blessings that he had in Christ and they were worth everything to him. In fact, in Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight, Paul says, "When he came to the, close to the end of his life, for I am ready to be offered; the time of my departure is hand. I fought a good fight; I finished my course; I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also, that love His appearing." He's not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed. Of to be persecuted for the Gospel. He's not ashamed of his Lord. And he had the confidence that when he came to the end of life that he had a home in heaven. He had been prepared. That crown of life was laid up for him. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul realized that living in this world, he had one purpose, and that was to preach the Gospel of Christ. To serve God, to live for Him. And he says, if I go, that's fine. If I stay, that's fine. If I go, I can be with Christ. If I stay, I'm going to live for Christ. And that's the goal that he had. And I ask you, what's your goal? Is that the goal that you have? That if you're here on this earth, you're going to live for Christ, but if you die, you're going to heaven and you're going to be with Christ? Brother, that should be the faith that we have that we're living in such a way that we know that if it ended this moment, that we would have a home in heaven. What kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith is it? Is it that convincing faith, that consistent faith? That contagious faith or that confident faith. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he died. And he told us what we needed to do in order to be saved. He was laid in a tomb and he rose up for rose up out of the grave. That's the death, burial, and resurrection. That he died, that he was buried, and then he rose victorious. First Corinthians the fifteenth chapter. He did all of that, and Paul wasn't ashamed of that. And today you hear people that will say, What do I need to do to be saved? And you'll hear preachers that will say, Ah, pray this prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart. You don't find that in the Bible. What they're telling you is worthless. Oh, I know it sounds good. But so does that antique look good after it's been refinished. But now it's not worth what it would have been. And that gospel that doesn't tell you, the person that doesn't tell you what the gospel says in order to be saved. Isn't doing you any favors. And it was Jesus who said, "He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved." And this morning, if you're not a Christian, you can do that. You can put your faith in Him, be obedient to His will, and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sin. If you're not, a, if you are a Christian, maybe your faith hasn't been what it should be. I want to encourage you to make those changes in your life. Develop that faith that God wants you to have so that you can pass that on to someone else. Because I told the group earlier this morning, if you want to respond to the invitation and you're afraid to do so because I don't have a mask, i got one in my pocket. I'll be willing to put it on. Because I want you to be saved. And I want us all to go to heaven. Don't let something that simple prevent you from doing what you need to do to make things right with God. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, feel free to do so while we stand and sing.